Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM. There you can browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and get started listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, a football show brought to you by Sensibly Loud Media. I am in the studio solo with JB this evening. What's going on, man? How you doing? J-Mac, it's great for us to be back in the booth. I know everyone's going to be missing Cal Beats. He's got uh, a few things on his agenda, which has put him out of town and without good Wi-Fi, unfortunately. So we've had some technical difficulties. We certainly want to keep the product uh, stand up for you guys. So he's going to be missed. It's a full slate. We're really looking forward to getting his insight. Uh, but no worries. We will have his best bets at the end of the show as well. But uh, you're going to have to deal with J-Mac and I this week. So hopefully we can roll right through it. I think we can handle it just fine. I, I was uh, appreciative of you guys handling handling it last week while I was gone. Uh, when I went to Atlanta for the uh, NLDS uh, game one, it was a much better game than the one that was played today where Atlanta gave up 13 runs or 11 runs in the first inning. My goodness. I mean, I, I think I was like 20 minutes into the game. I'm like, ah, oh, what time does it start? And I check it's nine, nothing or something I'm like, well, at least I'm uh, not missing anything at work here. Right. There went that. <laughs> that, that and, and what do you know? Once again, the St. Louis Cardinals are just moving right through the playoffs with a team full of scrappy hitters. It seems like guys they traded for, for peanuts and pitchers no one's ever heard of and they all look like they're still on steroids but i digress exactly that's fine we will we will move on i'm sad to see that atlanta got bounced they're such a good young squad love acuna and ozzy albies and all those guys we talked about this a, a bunch kind of in the uh before football started but you know this is kind of converted to a football show during the uh the football season that's just we've already got a baseball show so this kind of covers everything but check out the outfielder if you guys are looking for you know wall-to-wall baseball coverage but we'll definitely be talking about the world series as it happens and stuff here too and uh yeah we'll uh i don't know you want to dive into some football well i want one question with you because i always have this argument with baseball with folks because i think it's something that's not talked about in the atlanta braves franchise you brought up great young talent really feels like similar to you know chipper when they had the bobby cox and the, the loaded team of pitchers with them are you worried this could be the same result where, you know, they only got one World Series out of all those all-stars and, you know, a couple Hall of Famers? I'm not saying that's happening because they are still very, very young. We're not even to the point where they're at, you know, the World Series contention level. But could you see that happening again with this squad? Because it feels like there's just something there that hasn't clicked completely yet. I think it's the pitching, honestly. I don't think that they have it like a Walker Bueller or somebody like that that can really shut things down. I think Dallas Keuchel was a great addition to that team. I think that, I mean, really and truly, Fultinovitz, except for today, has been really pretty good all year, decent at least. And, I mean, they've had, you know, a decent going, you know, at the plate, but I just, something about their pitching staff doesn't feel right. I don't think it's in the offense. I really don't. Well, Mike Fultowitzki, I mean, he's kind of one of the issues, I think. Him and Sean Newcomb both had great years last year, and then both were, you know, part of the mainstays in rotation, then removed, came back towards the later part of the year. I mean, it just seems like, you know, are we a lot of guys who had high ceilings, we haven't seen kind of take that next step. So I'll be interested. A team I know you guys are breaking down a lot in the offseason on the outfielder where you think they go in free agency, because I think. Uh, a guy like Dallas Keuchel and, you know, a potential guy in Garrett Cole is someone they, they really need to be eyeing up. Garrett Cole is good. <laughs> can, you, can, can I get a prediction? Because I, I had a listener ask me about this. What does Garrett Cole get this offseason? And I figured nothing short of $40 million a year. Is that crazy? No, that's not crazy at all. I, I would pay it, too, easily. He's, tw- he's 29 years old, absolutely elite, a horse. I mean, I would say, what? eight years at 40 mil a year do you think that gets him 
Probably so. I mean, being 29 sucks in that scenario, but I mean, you're it's exactly like the David Price thing or whatever. You're going to have to pay for the last years of the contract you're probably not going to get. It's front-loaded in that that sense. So, I mean, this, yeah. If you're I'm probably, the Yankees, I go off from 200 mil for four years. I don't want any part of eight years. Yep. I'll give you 50 mil a year for four years. You'll be 33 Figure it out after that, but I want your best years, and then I don't want to see you again. I wouldn't be, I would like personally. I wouldn't give him more than four years. Well, that's but, what I'm saying. Four yeah. years, two hundred million. Why not? I mean, yeah, it's going to no. be worth that. Absolutely. That, that, but that's the highest I'm going years wise. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's gonna. It's a blank check situation. He walks into your you know clubhouse. You're going. How many years do you want? How much money do you want? We'll tell you if we can if we can afford that. But yeah. There's not a lot of negotiation here. He's going to be the top pitcher on the market, a top young pitcher on the market without health issues at this time. I just don't see a way that he, I mean, it could be where this stretch stretches out farther than we want just because it can. Yeah, that's a good point. But you also take the risk of, I mean, he is older, you know, he's been around. Like, I mean, this is, he. he I think Houston's like his third stop, something like that, isn't it? It's his. Well, he was in Pittsburgh you right. know, for all those years. But no, I think he just went from Pittsburgh to Houston. Okay. But it has felt like he's been around forever. In the same way Madison Bumgarner's felt that way because he stepped into the Pirates when McCutcheon was at that MVP level. They were in the playoffs and competing. When when these young pitchers, just like Walker Bueller, I mean, in five years, you're going to say, gosh, isn't that guy at the later part of his career? Because when you see him on national TV all the time, yeah. you hear about him competing. It just seems from you know the first year on, it always seems like they've been in the league longer than they have. While a guy like Wandy Rodriguez is only forty years old. Unbelievable. Unbelievable name drop that you gave me yesterday. I was very, very thrilled about that. You know what? I was watching the Houston series and I was thinking, man, I want to go back, look at some of those, you know, Andy Pennant, Roger Clemens, Brad Lidge, Royals, Walt type of days. And and then Wandy Rodriguez ran across the screen. What a back end guy to have on such those crazy staffs. But uh, we're excited. I know the outfielder is going to be breaking down all these game five. So be sure to tune in there. I think a, a big game, hopefully tomorrow night. Houston Astros, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, J Mac, you got a prediction at least for that one for the yeah, listeners? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, Cole's going to be hitting the mound again on five days rest. I think yesterday, Verlander on three days rest was not enough. I mean, we were all over Twitter about it. Uh, I mean, I think you and I had the exact same reaction without even talking about it. Like, I mean, three yeah. days rest just wasn't enough for a guy his age at the end of the day. And, like, I mean, Verlander still got it. He's incredible. He struck out over 300 this season. Really fucking good, but at the end of the day, three days rest is not enough for a guy that's going to go that deep like he does. And yeah. so I think you're sending Garrett Cole to the mound, full rest. He struck out 15 the other night. I fully expect the Astros to come out of this. If the Rays do, though, that's a great story. They're, the Rays will get smashed by either the Yankees or the Astros, no matter or by the Yankees, regardless if they come out of this. But I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we're looking at... Houston and, and New York in the in the ALCS here. Yeah, I think it's a huge disadvantage. I obviously do ever wins just because your your starting staff's not set up either way. Because most likely, if the Rays are going to win tomorrow, they're going to blow through Tyler Glass now, who's starting. Then Blake Snell, who's already on a pitch count, I would imagine he's going to be a part of this. And then you had Charlie Morton going in Game Four. So um, you, you know, either way, you're looking at uh, we got to go into New York. You're throwing probably a bullpen game, game one. So, yeah, to your point, I, I think it sets up uh, really poorly for the Rays if they win just the way their staff set up after this. Or uh, Houston's going Zach Granke game one, which I, I don't know. We, we He's had a great year, but that was pretty rough showing. So it'll be it was. I, I agree with you 100%. Does Houston have a four and five guy? Because, like, I, I don't I didn't really understand why they sent Verlander to the mound again. Well, I think it was you were looking at a couple things. Obviously, they just wanted to close out the series for what I was speaking about in that they wanted Garrett Cole to go game one of the next series. They're saying, hey, let's get this over with. They kind of felt the blood in the water. You know, we don't we don't want to deal with that. Um, pitching wise, I mean, that's their one, two and three. A after that, you're kind of mixing in Wade Smiley. Mm. What a great three fourths of the season, but really struggled down the stretch. I mean, they've had those couple folks who earlier in the year, you know, Jude Smith was supposed to be a guy that was 
going to be, or uh, Judd James, I apologize, who is supposed to be a um, certainly a back into the rotation, just didn't pan out. So, yeah, I think you're looking at Granky, Verlander, and then Cole. I mean, you'd get back to regular rest. It'd be, it sets up much nicer for um, the Astros when you have Granky still go game one, but you just still feel a little bit uneasy about it. I guess my thing about it is, and we'll get to football here after this because this is just something to, to kind of kick around the old brain. I, I do wonder, so like we look at the Rays and the A's, there are two teams that are doing this very specifically of using an opener. And like if I'm Houston, I wouldn't mind using like Wade Miley as an opener and then go to Verlander if you have to kind of thing. I mean, it just seems like if you can try to spare that, you can do that. Like today, for example, like the, the Cardinals rolled out Jack Flaherty. I didn't understand why they did that. It didn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. But, I mean, especially when you get down by 10 runs in the beginning, you may as, or get up by 10 runs in the beginning, you may as well spare the pitcher. But I, I don't know. I, it just feels like Houston would be, like, afraid to use an opener in that case or something like that. And I don't really know why anymore. I mean, is it is that still kind of taboo? Is that what that feels like? Well, I think when you got the staff, they do. It's just almost an insult to them. But uh, w- with Wade Miley, he's a sinker ball pitcher, which yeah. anyone who oh, is familiar with those – you're you're either on or you're not. So it, you yeah. usually find out pretty early on with sinker ball guys. I mean, either, it's either not sinking and you're giving up five dongs in the first inning, or like, great, he's going to go out and give us seven innings. So I think there's just some reservation right now with how we saw him finish the year, mm-hmm. um, and certainly the playoffs aren't the place, and New York Stadium is not the place to um, you know regain your confidence back yeah. for any stretch. So. Um, you know, this is why they traded for Granky. I hope we do get Houston, uh, New York. I think that'd be a fantastic series, but, uh, financially from what I paid, I hope the race wins. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Makes sense. All right, let's roll with some football, man. All right. Well, college this week, there is a lot of great games on the docket. We're going to break down a few of them for you guys. Uh, the first is obviously going to be OU in Texas. OU an 11 and a half point favorite over under at 76 and for those of you who don't know this is not a home game for either team it is a neutral site field here at the texas state fair one of the best days to go to the fair i'll, I'll detour here because for about four hours of the day that fair is empty everyone mm-hmm. is at the game watching it intrigued so if you're not a football fan and have no cares to watch go to the texas state fair during this game uh, but we see jalen hurts kind of take on his first big test to this point, Houston or OU really hasn't faced a, a competent defense. In, in Texas, obviously, faced LSU had to battle it out. So, J-Mac, we've got two explosive offenses. Sam Ellinger certainly taking form. He gets back his big weapon, Colin Johnson, who is a gentleman who did not declare early for the NFL. And so a big get back to put him on the outside allows guys to go back to their natural positions. Do you think Jalen Hurts can be slowed down, though, by this Texas defense who had no answer for Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers? I honestly don't. I don't think that Texas is going to have an answer for this. Like, I think if you're look, I mean, we've talked about Heisman odds and all that stuff. Joe Burrow's in the conversation, certainly. And so is Jalen Hurts. And I think he's had a phenomenal year. I, uh, I don't know if I would put my money on them to cover 11 and a half points just because that's a lot of points for any team. But I think it's going to be one or the other. I mean, and obviously, but like, I think I honestly think OU is going to handle business here pretty well. But the thing about this game is it's historically close for no real reason, even in years where either team is bad and the other one's good. And where I really look at value when I look at this overall line is the 76 points. I'd probably take under that. I think it's a lot of points. Yeah, so obviously all the trends you're going to hear on ESPN game day and all that, you know, Texas 8-3 and three against the spread as a dog. Uh, Tom Herman's got a great record from his years at Houston, you know, certainly riding that out. I, I, I'm not a big trends guy in that fact. I think there's certain trends that are worth following. Uh, that's not one of them. Uh, the one that folks probably aren't going to talk about is 9-2 and two to the under when Texas has been a dog with Tom Herman. So that's a little interesting. Obviously, the one most recently not cashing was the LSU game. Um, But Jalen Hurts, when asked about this game, was really dismissive. He said, I've played in the Iron Bowl. I think I'll be okay. Okay, so Um, that scares me. That's a lot of confidence. 
it's a lot of confidence, but I think it's a guy that looks at a defense that hasn't really had an answer to stop. And BJ Foster was a big kid that Texas was relying on to kind of help out uh, through the year. And that just hasn't been the case. And for whatever reason, Texas has no problem bringing in five-star corners and safeties, but hasn't been able to uh, formulate, maybe get a competent DC to slow it down. And that just may be the conference they're in. Uh, but Jalen Hurts almost seems like a man that's on a mission. And he's looked at the schedule and said, I'm not losing a game if I play four quarters in any of these. And I'm just not concerned. He, his only goal is to get back to the college football playoffs and beat the shit out of Nick Saban. And that is the only thing that is on his mind. And I, I'm with you. 11 is a lot. You're basically asking to win by two plus scores in this situation, uh, w- which this is an OUT that I think can do that. But Texas, Texas's way to win this game is pretty simple. They're going to have to rely on the run game control the clock, and keep Jalen Hurts off the field. Anyone who plays OU, that's going to be the obvious solution. But Texas defense is has one of the worst red zone defenses in college football. I think they have a success rate against them about 89%. Um, so them forcing a turnover or you know even holding the field goals would be an absolute win in any scenario. But I just don't see Jalen Hurts being slowed down from this Texas defense so far. So to your point, no matter what this has been, the players in the past, we've seen it overcome, but a lot of that was when big game Bob was there. I mm-hmm. think Lincoln Riley is just a different type of coach. He's so masterful, and this OU defense is so much improved. It's only 19 points a game, and you ask any OU fan, that's astounding. And they brought yeah. in a new D.C. If you did your reading in the offseason, all the players talked about how little they were bought into Mark Stoops's. Uh, defense when he was there so I think Lincoln Riley made all the necessary adjustments I, I, I it's a layer don't play it for me I'm just not interested in backing Texas at 11 if you think it's going to be close I would certainly go ahead and uh, take you know an adjusted line maybe plus seven and a half but I truly don't see this being a one score game at the end of the day yeah and I the more that you say that, the more I, I feel like I could be swayed, which is always dangerous for the the good people, by the way. Always dangerous thing to be able to be swayed <laughs> that way. But I do think that the best thing about Jalen Hurts, and I think his biggest value, is the fact that he can beat you in so many different ways, and it's going to take a lot to be able to plug all those holes for Texas. And I just haven't seen anything that leads me to believe they could do that. If you're talking about like LSU, that's a whole different story. But Texas right. hasn't shown me anything that leads me to believe that they can really do that. I may stay away from this game, but I definitely like the under of 76. That's a lot of points. I think the under is certainly a way to look just from the standpoint of I think OU is going to get up you know, fairly comfortable and be fine running the ball, which they have a stable of running backs. They always do there in OU. And I, I just see it a situation where if they're able to put the throttle on Texas – and especially if Texas is wanting to try to establish the run and move clock, if it kind of starts off a little bit slower, but still OU, you know, 24, 10 at half, they're fine winning. I mean, Jalen Hurts has shown, to your point, he has so many ways to beat you. And mechanically, my goodness, it has been a treat to watch him because he was horrendous. Obviously, when he came in as a freshman, a sophomore, he, he kind of had that red shirt year last year. And a lot of people knock Jalen Hurts for staying at Bama. And, you know, not moving to safety or tight end, whatever they wanted to do. You know, hey, why don't you, you know, why don't you trade trading positions? You don't have a chance in the NFL. Watching this kid in today's NFL, man, I, I'm pretty excited. We're seeing what Lamar Jackson's been able to do. Obviously, it's a different type of player. But I, I'm certainly saying uh, we're going to see uh, Jalen Hurts in the NFL, and I think drafted in a pretty decent rate. I agree with you, and I, I think that's going to become more of a mold for the NFL as far as just versatile players. Like, I've been watching a lot of Kyler Murray, and like he's quietly doing a lot with a little. And I mean, they've got some holes, they've got some problems, and all that, but like he's trying to figure it out. And I think guys like Mahomes are proving that that blueprint kind of works. We love talking about the blueprint, but I think it's going to add versatility for people like Jalen Hurts who are going to be able to do things differently than what the, we typically see in the NFL. So I, I'm a big fan of this kid, and I think he's done a lot with a, a lot really quickly at OU. I think Lincoln Riley knows how to use him too, though, and I think that's one of the biggest things you hit on that a minute ago. And, yeah. you know, when it comes down to this game, it just it, for me it comes down to two things. It comes down to the quarterback play because defense isn't going to really matter. We're talking about uh, Big 12 here. And it comes to coaching. 
and give me Lincoln Riley over Tom Herman any day of the week. Any day I, of the week. I would agree there. I love Lincoln Riley. I pray to God the Cowboys bring him in this offseason. Fire Garrett. Pay him whatever he wants. Mentioned it on the preview episodes coming into the year. Lincoln Riley was offered to be the Dallas Cowboys coordinator. He turned that down a lot of money, too, um, because he knows his worth. He is very sought after, very well respected. And that's why we saw, you know, Kyler and Baker shoot up draft boards. He's running an offense that could translate to today's NFL. His players are respected. Coaches know that they are being coached the right way. And it's becoming now a, a school where, just like Bama to a degree, where you know that they're being coached and developed in the way that you need to come into the NFL. So we're, we're very excited. That's an 11 a.m. kickoff. Ooh. So we know Kyle gets really nervous with these early kickoffs. So no, we're all in central time, so you don't have to worry about time zone changes. So that helps. That's true. I, I just want to make sure we, we keep them in the loop. Yeah, so no, uh, we are. Jay Mac and I are mostly staying away. Uh, you know, I I hate to ever recommend an under because they're never fun in college football, especially with OU. Um, I, I would just tell folks, go enjoy this game. Yeah. Go, go enjoy it. Watch it on TV. Appreciate Jalen Hurts and enjoy the game. And lay the points if you're going to bet it all. Because yeah, I, I guess I guess so. Yeah. Well, next we have a pair of top 10 matchups. Uh, Florida Gators head to Baton Rouge to take on the LSU Tigers. LSU 12.5, 13-point favorite with a low over-under of 55. We saw Florida have a great upset at home, or not upset, I guess, uh, solely speaking, though, that we're a dog, of Auburn Tigers. And, you know, this is interesting, J-Mac, because, you know, Florida, I think, has been maybe a little overvalued even in this spread because, well, they did beat Auburn, and that's a great win. If, if you look at the underlying numbers, they're still outgained in uh, yards per play. I didn't like what Bo Nix did, throwing a pick in the the – the end zone, you know, Florida busted that run early on and they didn't do much after their defense really held them together. And I'm just not sure this, this Florida Gators defense matches up with LSU the same way they did with a, a freshman quarterback on the road. And uh, we talked at nauseum last week about Florida's quarterback injuries and Tresic has had a, um, a brace on his knee all week so far. Um, been really, discouraging to kind of what Dan Mullins likes to do and move around the quarterback in his system. So if your backup quarterback's banged up versus LSU team, I do have some concerns. So I'm going to let you start there. Do you think this is a situation where Florida's going to find success going against LSU's defense? Because the over-under would kind of tell you this may be a little bit more low scoring than what we've been seeing out of most LSU games with Joe Burrow lighting up the scoreboard. Yeah, I th- so I, I this is a line that actually surprised me a little bit. I'm taking LSU in the points all day long here. I love Joe Burrow. And to me, he's a hands-down Heisman candidate. We've already talked about that a little bit today. But I just I think you're looking at SEC defense and the truest definition of it. And LSU is always, always good on defense in this kind of situation, especially with Coach O. Love Orgeron. Great dude. I just... They've got- They've got three future first-round picks in their secondary. They, they, every right. year they get the number one corner coming into LSU. Right. Every year they're known for it, and so like I love that. And I just I agree with you. I I so like I've I've struggled with this because I feel like Auburn was way overrated. So the fact that so I chose uh, I chose Florida to beat them last week. Yeah, as dogs, you did. great call. And, and I just I felt like because I watched them play A and M and like they didn't do like. A&M shit all over themselves a lot in that game. but So it, it was one of those things where it felt like they were kind of inflated. And so I kind of felt like Florida could go in there and do some work. But at the end of the day, what what did the end of that score end up being? I got on the plane, so I wasn't around to see it. Yeah, it got ugly. I apologize. I could pull it up. It was, you know, 30 to 17. And, okay. he, he, it, and Auburn was in it the whole game. Like I said, they didn't have a problem. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot, just like you said A&M did versus them with right. turnovers, with, you know, letting up big plays for, for no reason. I mean, it was just frustrating to see. So the final score for folks maybe taking account of 13-24 um, in at halftime, uh, it was 13-17. And Yikes. Florida really didn't do anything till again, an 80. They had an 88-yard run in the fourth quarter. Then they had a 64-yard swing pass, which I basically counted as a run. I mean, they had two big plays, and that's it. Their, their offense didn't do anything. And I would say, you know, Auburn and LSU are very similarly made offense and defensively I agree with that and I just at the end of the day though I I mean give me LSU here give me the under it's pretty straightforward it's gonna be very defensive game I just 
Uh, yeah, I, I like LSU. I trust Joe Burrow. I just trust the overall product that is LSU a lot more than Florida. I think Florida's overrated. Yeah, and I've talked at nauseum, and all the listeners know I'm a big LSU fan, and I think everything that they've done uh, coming into this season w- was just spot on. Um, and the 55 kind of worries me with the big spread. You just kind of have some question marks about, you know, how does that work? But with Joe Brady running the offense, calling the plays with Joe Burrow, I I think the only way that LSU's defense does not slow down Florida is over the middle. You know, LSU lost Devin White uh, to the NFL draft. They haven't really been able to plug that up the same way Bama hasn't yet either. Bama and LSU lost elite first and second round linebackers. And, you know, we're, we're just getting halfway through the season. And if you talk to any college football coach, they say it takes about eight games for their kids to really get in, you know, new starters to get entrenched, thriving in those positions. So if Florida's able to be in a position where they can, you know, keep Tristic upright with his knee and hit their tight ends over the middle, do the running back screens, get into the open, the middle of the field, because outside they're going to be shut down. LSU's got better athletes. They have too much speed. It's, you know, in Baton Rouge, they're not going to throw downfield. That's not going to happen in this game. It just doesn't. You don't do that versus LSU, especially Mm -hmm. with Florida's team. And unfortunately, with Dan Mullins, he hasn't had the ability to bring in the elite athletes that Florida fans are are used to. That's not Dan Mullins. Dan Mullins is a great game planner, an elite schemer, and I expect him to know that LSU is weak over the middle. So I do think Florida will certainly come out with the right game plan. I'm just not sure they have enough to overcome this, especially with Joe Burrow if he's able to get humming early. And, and that's just what LSU's done all year. So, you know, I, I'm really on the mindset of, you know, ride with these guys until they give you a reason not to. And Joe Burrow hasn't given me a reason not to to this point. So I'm going to trust them. I'm going to look for some teaser options. You know, I want to get okay. LSU down to, you know, a minus six, or if they win by a touchdown, I'm comfortable. So, you know, maybe that's some areas to look to with the NFL or college football. If you like maybe a seven-point favorite or even with the Patriots tomorrow night. But I, I'm certainly not looking to back Florida here. Yeah, no, for sure. I think a teaser would be a good way to go. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly the way to get them involved. Um, J-Mac, anything else on college football you wanted to get off? Um, Nothing specifically that I can think of. Michigan kind of looked like shit last week again. That's not really surprising. They won, but it didn't look great. Still won 10 to three. Um, the yeah. other interesting one that I want to just touch on in the Big Ten, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State. So, Michigan State lost obviously last week to Ohio State. Everyone thinks they looked like crap going on the road. Badgers, you know, great team. Badgers got a couple of things going. First, only team in NCAA football to score in the opening drive of every possession so far. They have three shutouts, only team to have three shutouts since Vautech and their vaunted days. Ten and a half points with an over-under of 44, J-Mac, is atrocious. Yes. I mean, that's just math right there. I know we just kind of talked about the same thing with LSU Florida, but that's at 55. They're still expecting points to be scored in this game. When you're looking at a game, Wisconsin's about to have 15 to 20-mile-an-hour wins. Michigan State has no problem shutting down a run game compared to what we saw to Michigan. I'm very intrigued by Michigan State. Did you have any thoughts on the Badgers or Michigan State? I mean, truthfully, I would think i would probably lay the badgers here but mm, i don't really no i don't really know about that because I, I haven't really seen either of these teams prove a lot i've seen them confuse me more than anything else and uh, i don't know it, it's hard to say with wisconsin because we kind of always know what they are but there's still a lot of kind of bright future there but at the same time like they've never really been anything other than I, I don't know it's i don't really have a whole lot of take on it I, I just I'm interested to watch this game because it's going to be a good game, I think. Yeah. But it's going to be very classic, like Big Ten football. I think. Yeah, the only thoughts on here. Additionally, you did a little bit of reading. Uh, the Michigan State players aren't doom and gloom after last week. They understand they still control their own destiny to get to the Big Ten uh, championship game. Um, so they didn't. You know, they understand they're not going to the national championship. They probably knew that, but. This team knows this is a must win. This is kind of a season on the line. Seems to me to be an all-effort game, which when you get an all-in effort from a college team, it sometimes works out really, really well. So certainly a game that I'm going to be looking at. I agree. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. You definitely 
like I, I think that is probably the biggest like switch from like pro to NFL is like a team with heart can make it happen. It's just a matter of like whether that's actually feasible, I guess, depending on your opponent. And but I think a lot of times you can will a team to a win in college versus NFL where it just you're going to get steamrolled a lot of times regardless of what happens. Fair enough. Well, J-Mac, moving on to our favorite section, would you lay it this week? Miami Miami Dolphins were off last week to much of the screen for anyone in survivor pools. They returned to us this week versus the Washington Redskins. We have two teams combined. 0-9, J-Mac. 0-9. Washington fired Jay Gruden. They're a a three-and-a-half point favorite. Would you take the three-and-a-half this week? I would, and I'll give you one reason why. I saw that Bill Callahan decided to cut the bullshit today during practice, stop playing music, and made the guys run wind sprints. I love that move because you know what? Nothing else has fucking worked at this point. Dan Snyder's clearly proven that he doesn't know how to make football moves, and he's clearly in charge of that thing. They fired their coach at 5 a.m. on Monday morning. Overall, I just think the Dolphins are not... Go- I mean, I know that Josh Rosen's going to be fighting for his starting job and to remain the starter and to kill the campaign of tanking for Tua and all that stuff, but give me the Redskins here, I think. What do you think? So, so Jay, Mac, you get a call that says, hey, be in the office at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Are you showing up at 5 a.m.? Absolutely not. I'm strolling in. I'm picking up some coffee, maybe getting some donuts, taking my time, maybe, you know... Get the paper, read it at Starbucks for a few minutes. You know the whole thing. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not rushing in to get fired by Dan Snyder. D- does he? You know, that's my question. Which we need more detail. So Jay Gruden in the press conference Sunday after the game was like, like you know, hey, are you worried about get fired? He's like, well, if my key works tomorrow, I'll prepare for the Dolphins to get our first one of the season. Didn't work. Well, <laughs> your key. I mean, I feel like he was taking a shot, and Dan Snyder sitting there. You know, probably in his one of his nine McMansions, he just goes, "Fuck him!" Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make. Him he sends him an email. He probably sends a passive aggressive email <laughs> on the on the you know Washington Redskins official, like Jay, we uh, need you here at five a.m. tomorrow. Like that, what an that's asshole. What I pictured happening. I 100 percent agree with that. I mean, I'm not showing up at five a.m. to get fired from anything. I'll tell you that much. Just not doing it. Do you show up like in a swimsuit, going, "Oh well, yeah, I got a flight to Mexico booked right after this." That's that, like. What are you guys talking about? It's either that or a bathrobe. Like I just rolled out. You know, like I'm I'm definitely, you know, either way. Either Big way would Lebowski be Lebowski totally. showing up in a bathrobe with a white Russian? Hell yeah. That's exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So I, I don't know. I just think that I think it's really interesting. So I saw on Twitter a ton of talk and like I, I'm really fascinated by the Redskins because really and truly like the, uh, <laughs> They like Dan Snyder might be a worse owner than James Dolan, who owns the Knicks, and that is hard to do. And I just he everything he does is wrong. And I, I, I was watching like PR Garcon was a great example. Retired from the Redskins, good dude. I've always liked him a lot. He tweeted out and was like, the people within that organization that work for Dan Snyder know this was not a Gruden problem. Gruden didn't help himself. And he probably should have even started the year as the coach, truthfully. If, I mean, it sounds like he didn't want Haskins and all that. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, and there's a lot of hearsay there, too. Sure. But, like, at the end of the day, like, this is a top-down problem. I mean, is that pretty fair to say? I think that's how most people feel. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like it. So, I mean, anytime you have the owner, <laughs> I'm saying this as a Cowboys fan, Um <laughs> The owner interject in so many areas of the the organization without officially having those titles. That, that that's where the issue. Is. You you hire people. I mean, it's any organization. You hire people to do their job. If they're not doing their job, fire them and get them someone that can. But right. w- once you try to interject, take over, and you know undermine people, it's not going to work. And that's what we've seen here. To Jerry's credit, hundred percent. Like he has recognized that, just not at the right times. And I mean, especially in later years, for sure. But I mean, I mean, you trust. Give me Jerry Jones to run a business all day long, but not a football team. It's the same kind of thing. But like, at least Jerry knows, hey, maybe I should get some people that know what they're doing here. Dan Snyder's never done that. I look at Baltimore for an ex- as an example, right down the river from them. They have won a Super Bowl, burned the team down, and rebuilt it in the time that. 
<laughs> the Redskins are still suffering from having drafted RG Knee. <laughs> nice name. And RG3 is on Baltimore, so that's <laughs> even better. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Uh, well, to circle back to our original question, uh, yeah, I, I think it's an opportunity to take them. And to your point, you brought up Josh Rosen. Uh, knows that he's battling for his NFL career. I mean, you talk about a guy who's just been so battered going between two teams with a terrible offensive line, given no hope. And I, I don't know. It, it just feels like there's so much negativity. And to your point, Bill Gal- Bill Callahan cutting the music and doing wind sprints, that does not fly in today's NFL. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> there's no – and he came out saying, hey, I want to run the ball more. Your number one running backs on the IR. Yep. You have a – Adrian Peterson, who's aging like crazy, and Chris Thompson is a backfield catcher. I swear to God, if I see Samaje Pirine out on the field for Washington running it 15 times, then they've given up because if Bill Callahan is about to turn this back into what we saw, you know, when he was with Cowboys trying to run the ball in the I formation with DeMarco Murray. It's not working with with the tools that Washington has, especially without Trent Williams, too. How we've 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 lost in this total circus. We've lost the fact that probably a top five left tackle in the NFL is sitting at home laughing. Right, dude, a hundred percent. And the craziest part about this whole thing to me is Bruce Allen, the GM, didn't lose his job here. And like that, I I think their record. I looked at this earlier, so don't. This isn't a direct quote or anything like that or a direct number, but this is off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure his his win loss record as a GM is like 59 89 and 1 or something like that. Like I don't understand how he has a job either. There is so many people within this organization in the NFL as a whole that you look at and you just go what how do I you know what it, it's it's like you go back Mike Tice was a uh, head coach for the Minnesota Vikings True. the guy who couldn't you know get past being an O-line coach for his whole career was given the keys to the castle so I mean the same thing happened with Jim Thomas Tom Sulo which I loved that was a great move after they fired Harbaugh but you know it's fine Yeah I, so t- so <laughs> this is a mess we're going to have fun talking about this certainly in the offseason but this is the tank for two. I mean, certainly whoever loses this game uh, is is in the driver's seat, especially with Arizona getting a win. And, and I'd imagine Cincinnati's got enough competent parts to, to eke out a win or two this year. But I would say, yeah, the, the winner of this may eliminate themselves because I don't know if we got many wins coming this way for either team. I agree. But see, my biggest thing about this, and we're going to let this go now, is that at least – with the Dolphins, they're trying to tank. The Wash- the Redskins thought they were a playoff team. And I don't know that they still don't think that. And that's concerning. So, I mean, they're going to probably try to win this game, even though that's not what they should be doing. And I, I, I mean, I get Josh Rosen trying to will a game there, but we just talked about that, the difference between college and NFL that way. And unfortunately, he's just not set up in a spot to do that either. And they're trying to be bad. So, I, I just, yeah, give me the Redskins here. Well, last part before we move into the games for this week. Um, Henry Blanco is the bullpen coach for the Nationals. What? Yeah, I know. Sidebar. We're As we record this, we're watching the the, the Dodgers in the Nationals game. First of all, fantastic. I mean, career journeyman of a catcher. I love that. I yeah. mean, him, every, every day, Eddie Gordado has been a bullpen coach. I, I mean, bullpen coach has got to be the best gig. It's got to be a great game, job. But Absolutely. I digress. All right. Well, moving into this week's games. Uh, we're going to certainly, there's a handful to circle, but we're going to start on Seattle, a two-point favorite heading on the road to face the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Cleveland certainly had a rough game Monday night, uh, unfortunately, uh, moving to two and three overall, while Seattle, uh, with Greg the leg shanking the field goal, moves to four and one. J-Mac, we have two differing views, so I'm going to let you start here uh, over under 47. What do you like? Man, this game is so confusing to me because every bit of me thinks that the Browns are probably going to bounce back. They've done that all year. Like they they got trounced uh like week 2 and bounced back pretty good. Uh I forget who uh, was it the Ravens that kicked the shit out of them? No, they they kicked the shit out of the they, Ravens they in a bounce back. So whatever game was before that, they got pounded for no reason. And I just think that like everybody's been telling me that the, that the Cleveland Browns are going to test the Patriots in week eight. Those people can go fuck themselves, number one, because that's not true. That team stinks out loud. And whenever Baker... Dude, I can't believe 
that Baker rolls out to the right as much as he does. He does it more than Mitch Trubisky, and we talked about how that's so much of a problem at the beginning of the year. That's yeah. all he does. When he's in trouble, he rolls out right every single time. Defenses read the shit out of it. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. And, you know, I've talked about it nauseam with with what we've seen out of Freddie Kitchens. And, they, as I mentioned, he likes to run two tight end set. He lost David Njuku. In games like last week where they get down early, he's not able to run play action. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. But to your point, I think this is a bounce back opportunity for Baker Mayfield. I think so, too. And a lot of it has to do with Seattle's horrendous secondary, which I've talked about here on before. And it is a team that I feel like you can really play the matchups week to week. They're going to match up horrendous like they did last week versus an elite pass rush. And then they're going to face teams like Seattle that has a decent pass rush, but it's a team that's heading on the highway, which has had problems. It's a West Coast going to East Coast time zone for, for for an early kick. And again, well, what's this line if Seattle, you know, doesn't, or, or if St. Louis does make the field goal and they do mm. win. I mean, this line's probably, you know, Cleveland minus three, which is what it was heading into the week. I mean, you probably don't move too far off this. So I, I'm just not, I'm just not jumping on. I love Russell Wilson, but this is a two and 14 team without him. And, and even last week he was doing things that people just don't do. Yeah. And that is what he he's able to do at home. It seems to happen more often. But this is still a, a below-average offensive line. It's not an elite team in any part, and the parts themselves just aren't that great. So I think this is a complete overreaction. Uh, I'd mentioned OU for a teaser. This is a teaser leg I think you can add. Getting getting Cleveland plus 8.5 and, and OU under a touchdown, it's just an, a, so much of an advantage because even when Seattle does get up, they don't, typically don't run away with games just because they milk the clock. They're going to rely on their run game. They just aren't a team that's going to blow you out. Um, the hope, the thing you want to track is obviously Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward coming back for Cleveland because if they do, I think they can shut them down. And, and I, I sent you guys this chart. DK Metcalf has won one run route outside of the left side of the field. Jesus. Everything he runs is straight, straight. on the left side of that hash mark. Yep. And last week, he finally ran one route that broke in for a post route that he crossed center field and he scored a touchdown. Go figure. Yeah. Because, you know, you look at the chart and go, hey, he's run 200 routes and none of them have been past the hash mark. Don't bite on his out because he can't run anything else. So I'm just not buying into this line. It seems like a complete overreaction. The public's going to be all over Seattle, which they are, and I'm just avoiding it because I want no part of it. Yeah, and I'm with you there. And I also think that there's an overreaction on the other side that, I mean, that, that 49ers defense is not terrible. And Nick Bosa was eating Baker's lunch the entire night on Monday night. So I think there's some factor there, too. It's a little bit of short rest, all that stuff. I mean, it just, I, I don't know. I, I might stay away from this if I don't catch it in a teaser. That would be the only way I would touch it. But I would probably stay away from that just in general. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. But if I could catch it in a good teaser to get eight points, I, I'd be good with that. Yeah, so I, I am all over Cleveland in this spot. I think adding the teaser makes sense, but I just feel like this is a complete overreaction. So I, I'm going to hope to get to three. If this thing gets to three, I feel like people will pound the Cleveland, but you know, I wouldn't be opposed to buying up to three either at this rate because I think there's just that it's worth the value in a, in a game that's going to be pretty close. Agreed. Okay, what else? Well, moving through the Cleveland Browns, we head to two other teams that are bovine for playoff hopes. The Philadelphia Philly, not Philly, Philadelphia Eagles. You got baseball on the mind, buddy. Coming off a big win. They head on the highway up to Minneapolis. There's no snow. They got a dome and Minnie's three-point favorites with an over-under of 44. Uh, J-Mac, over 80% of the public is bait, betting currently on the Eagles. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. I'm taking the Eagles all day long. I think the Eagles are starting to get healthy. I, I'm kind of a believer in Carson Wentz. So, uh, in that quarterback duel, give me Carson Wentz all day long. I, I do like the Minnesota defense and everything, but I just it seems like almost a pick them in a lot of ways. Yeah, give me Philly here. Yeah, it, it's an interesting matchup, and I've talked about Minnesota being kind of a team that's easy to predict because they're a team that needs to do a couple things to be successful, mainly run the ball. Mike Zimmer is going to only run the freaking ball. And he's going to do it whether he whether he has success or not. I don't think Philadelphia is a team that is going to have great success against. So I think this is an opportunity for Philly. But I am a little alarmed that so much money's rolled in 
we haven't seen the line move. And uh, Minnesota backers have been great with Mike Zimmer at home. Um, Zimmer, since his time being in Minnesota, has certainly produced at home. It's a great uh, advantage. And I think there's going to be that revenge factor, certainly from two years ago when they lost at Philly to go to the Super Bowl. So I think there's some underlining motivation here. It feels like a weird line in that, and to your point, Philly just seems like the easy pick. They're rolling. It's a hot team. You know, Minnesota's really put up some, you know, goose eggs so far this year, you know, with, with the Bears and when they've stepped up in talent. And then they're coming off this big win versus the Giants. They look great. Kirk Cousins is throwing to Adam Thielen. But it, it just, I have so many question marks where I just feel like this is a stay away game. So yeah. I'm not sure. I know that you're sitting here telling me, oh, this is easy, Philly. And that's kind of what I thought too, looking at it. But as I dive deeper through this, I just, I, I have a little bit of concern with the line sticking where it's at and then just the revenge factor. Cause we've seen that so far this year with teams, you know, Colts last week, Colts lost to KC, big revenge factor. They came in and had an all in effort. So um, I, I just think it's a situation where I, I'm going to stay away and I'm going to enjoy it. And if the Eagles lose, I'll just be happy as a Cowboys fan at that point. Fair enough, dude. That's, that's a great thing to, to be able to, to lay back on. And I, I could definitely see where the concern is there. I just, at the end of the day, I look at Kirk Cousins and I just, I just don't see it. And I've been very anti-Kirk Cousins, and he's shown me nothing to prove the other way. So, I, I, yeah. I understand where you're coming from. It'll be, that'll be a great game, though. That should be a very interesting watch. Yeah, I, I would agree. But if I'm going one way or the other, I may look. You know, I, I really just don't have a feel on this game. So yeah, I wanna, that's fair. I don't want to steer anyone in one direction. Well, to a team that we just mentioned, the Kansas City Chiefs host the Houston Texans. The Chiefs are a four-and-a-half-point favorite over under one of the largest of the week at 55. And this is a line that was seven-and-a-half coming into uh, last week. And we've seen with injuries that have happened to Sammy Watkins, the um, uncertainty of Tyreek Hill, and obviously Patrick Mahomes' ankle, one of the injuries that's seriously not being talked about. J-Mag, I mean – I certainly have some concerns looking at the weapons that the Chiefs have. Do you have concerns with what they may be able to do? I mean, definitely, and that's why I took the Colts as an underdog last week. And I actually said uh, I didn't. I wasn't on the show, so I wasn't able to give you guys the exact context. I actually thought Kansas City would still win. I just didn't think they would win by more than eleven. And I was pleasantly surprised to see the Colts pretty much roll them. And I mean, you look at the injury report before that game; it was a no-brainer. I mean, it really, really came apart at the last second, and it felt like they rolled into that week with a little bit more confidence than they maybe should have given that they had. I, I don't know. I guess maybe they didn't under, They didn't know that they were going to have some of the injuries like specified that were going to be out that they did. So I can understand the confidence, but I just got to think, I mean, it's four and a half points. Uh, it's less about what the Chiefs can do and more of I would say more about how the Texans are going to mess this up. The Texan, I mean, Deshaun's been getting killed. And, and I know that the defense has not been a shining point for Kansas City. They've had a lot more close games than it maybe feels like, given that Pat Mahomes having a great year. But at the end of the day, like, I just, I still believe in Kansas City a lot more. I love Andy Reid in the regular season, hate him in the postseason. And I mean, give give me Andy Reid over Bill O'Brien any day of the week. In that case, I was t Kyle and I were talking about this this week, and like we were talking about the Houston defense, and he's been big on Houston in general. And I'll let him speak for that when he gets back. But to me, I just I, they have a lot of pieces, but it's not a cohesive unit. Yeah, I, I, I love Kansas City. I've been on here. I love obviously what Andy Reid's been able to do with Patrick Mahomes, but. I, at some point you can't just be throwing to guys you picked up off the street. And that's what we saw with Aaron Rodgers last year with the injuries that they dealt with. So if it is a situation where we have again, Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill out, I think that's a concern, but then it's also a concern that Andy Reed can game plan for. And Damian Williams did come back into the fold. And we heard that LaShawn McCoy is going to spend some time on the pine tar due to his careless fumble last week, which you could argue possibly cost them the game. Um, they, you know, they do have some issues on the O-line as well. Obviously, Eric Fisher being out, uh, we saw last week, really did hurt at left tackle. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes can mask a lot of uh, deficiencies, you know, across the offensive line with wide receivers as well. But with him being banged up and uncertainty on the ankle injury, it's just not something I'm fully confident in yet. And they also have their two DTs out. Uh, you know, this is a team we talked about. They they made the transition from a four or from a three four to a four three defense. 
And when you lose both your starting defensive tackles, you saw what the Colts did. They gashed them right up the middle with Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins all night, and Nakeem Hines even to a certain degree. So if they're going to be missing both of those gentlemen again, I think it neutralizes the fact that Houston has a horrendous offensive line up the middle. That's and true. you maybe just kind of get a back-and-forth game. So, yeah. um, you know, Kenny Stills was back on the practice field for the Houston Texans this week. I think Houston's been a team that has no problem moving the ball with Nuke Hopkins, uh, Kiku Kute, uh, certainly a guy I liked. And Will Fuller finally went off last week. <laughs> he doubled his fantasy output. And Carlos Hyde's kind of been a nice surprise for this team, a guy that I think a lot of folks thought were left for dead. So I, I'm, I can't wait for this game. I think it's going to be back and forth. I think this sets up well for both offenses to really succeed, even if Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins are out to, to the point I made earlier. I think it allows Andy Reid the time to game plan to get his team lined up. And it just may be more of a Damian Williams show and a quick passes rather than, you know, Patrick Mahomes making a lot out of nothing. Because yeah. I think Andy Reid knows he's got to keep his quarterback healthy and upright. But um, this is kind of Sammy Watkins' career. You have a great game, have a couple mediocre games, and then you get hurt. Rip a hamstring. So, yeah, no right. doubt. I mean, this is this is just what we've always seen out of Sammy Watkins. So I, Such I, a shame. I, I don't know. I don't it's know so why good. anyone's surprised. I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on with Sammy Watkins? Like, well, I mean, this is what, what he always does. Yeah, you got, what, what, you got why to, is this so shocking to you? I don't get it. So every time you got to think that the Texans are happy that they're running into Kansas City at the time they're running into him at. Oh, absolutely. I, I think at both ends. So um, I'm excited. I think the four and a half is a little bit of an overreaction. If that for some reason floats down to three, I would take it. But yeah. Um, we talk about home field advantage all the time on this show, and Kansas City is an elite one. And especially coming off a loss, um, I just think typically you give about three points for a home field advantage. I think you can tick up KC to three and a half on a normal week and, you know, four at different points. So I I'm not ready to say these are two even teams. And we've seen a ton of inconsistency out of uh, the Texans. But 55 is a pretty tall number. I, I need to see more out of the injury list. If Casey is missing a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball and they get some guys back uh, weapons to throw to, I would be interested in uh, looking at this. But uh, on the flip side, we're, we're certainly going to be more entertained than not, I would say, from this. Agreed. Well, we have two primetime games left. We have San Francisco heading to the L.A. Rams. Rams a three-and-a-half-point favorite over under of 51 J-Mac, I'm going to let you start. Are you a San Fran believer? I have been on San Fran most of the year. Uh, I think their defense is a lot better. I think they're, uh, as far as what we thought it was going to be. And I think they've kind of got some things clicking on offense. And um, they've gotten some good stuff out of Brita. They've, they've, they're making things happen. The only thing that concerns me here is the Patriots and the 49ers are the only two undefeated teams in the league at 6-0. and gotta feel like I, I i'm not a huge believer in the rams i'm really not i feel like they've kind of been exposed a little bit more for what they are this year their defense hasn't been nearly as good but you almost gotta think this is a spot where san fran finally doesn't you know finally runs out of the luck factor here a little bit uh i really don't know what to think of this game i'm gonna stay away from it because i really do feel good about san francisco but i don't think i feel good enough to put anything on it kind of thing this, you know, I'm maybe teasing it, but <laughs> this is one of my stronger bets of the week. And I text you and Kyle pretty much Monday night when this game was going on saying, thank God, because this is what I was looking for, looking for a huge 49ers win. So I get a great line on the Rams and a great line on the Browns. Um, L.A. looked pretty, pretty good to me, honestly, going to Seattle. Tough place to play division game. They know each other so well. Uh, you know, in the divisions such as that, it's just so hard to gain an advantage at that point. Um, and again, they were a field goal away. What is this line if Greg Zerline hits that field goal? I, I'm, you know, it was minus seven coming into the week. Probably looking at minus six, even with the 49ers blowout. So again, I just think it's an overreaction. I'd buy down to the minus three. Um, the the Rams. People are really talking about San Francisco's pass rush getting after L.A. Rams just because the Rams have had struggles on the offensive line. But Jared Goff splits at home or away are absurd, and he is much more comfortable at home. Sean McVay and him are able to communicate, and Kyle Shanahan's not going to have two weeks to prepare for this just like he did on Cleveland. So um, I, it's just a different animal to me. Again, I know it is another division game. The two teams are going to be familiar. 
I am a big Shanahan guy. I just I think it's a bad spot. You're coming off a Monday night primetime victory, a big, big win, and I just think it's a, certainly a letdown spot. And L.A. is going to be all in. I mean, they're three and two. They know it's a must win in the division. Because pretty much if you go three and three and you're behind on a tiebreaker to San Francisco, you kind of the writing's on the wall at that point. So I do like San Francisco. It's a team I think is going to be pegged for the playoffs. I like what we've seen out of Jimmy G. I just think how this matches up from, you know, last week's results and the numbers that we're getting, I'm just playing a pure numbers at this point. These aren't two even teams. Right. This is telling me that the Rams are a half a point better on a neutral field. That's not the case. No. The The Rams even at the head coaching position, are better. So I just think there's a lot of value here in St. Louis. Yeah, I understand. I've been a little bit heavier on the 49ers than you have this year. We'll, we'll see. This will be a good game. So I think yeah, it'll I'm, be good. I'm glad we can battle back between this. Well, the Always. last prime <laughs> last primetime Monday night, the Detroit Lions head on the highway up to the frozen tundra of Green Bay, which probably is still a little melted. <laughs> but Green Bay, a minus four-point favorite, over under 47 J-Mac, another division game here. Uh, does the line seem too low to you for a Packer team coming off a big primetime W in 4-1? Uh, and one? It does, but if you watch that primetime W, it was not as pretty as it should have been. I mean, really and truly, all I've heard this year is about how the Packers' defense is better. They gave up a hell of a lot of points to the Cowboys in the end. The Cowboys started to figure it out, and I mean, given a little bit more time, the Cowboys would have beat this team. And, I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. They he, they took the Cowboys to task early, but the defense really shit the bed in the second half. And I just I don't see them being any kind of an elite defense. The other side of that is we're talking about Matt Stafford here, and he doesn't tend to carve things up nearly like, you know, like most elite quarterbacks do that are paid the, the amount of money that he's making. So, to me, I think this line's actually pretty fair. I'd take the Packers to cover that, lay the points all day long. It's an interesting matchup. To your point, I think the Packers are overrated. They were overrated in their uh, Thursday night game versus the Eagles, which you and I were both all over the Eagles in that spot. Um, Yeah, and I I think it's why we've seen line movement. The uh, Packers opened up a a five-and-a-half-point favorite down to four, which is kind of curious because I don't love the lines, but I do think Matt Patricia has brought in all the guys that he needs. He's running his system. And he is succeeding. I mean, Carryon Johnson's having a great year. Stafford's finally throwing the ball downfield. Got rid of Jim Bob Cooter. Greatest uh, name to say. Best name ever. The, best name to say in a podcast. So I think the team's clicking right now at the right time. And certainly uh, Detroit coming off a of bye week does help get, you know, at least some guys some rest. I know it's pretty earlier in the year, but you certainly want to take advantage of that bye week that when you have it earlier in the year, because you don't necessarily need it like you do in week nine or ten but I think you're able to make necessary adjustments here. Uh, as we've talked about, it will be a division matchup, so the two teams are very familiar with each other. And I, I just think four is too much here. I, I just I think we're going to see a defensive battle, though. That's what the Packers want to get into. Uh, we're not going to see the same mistakes that the Cowboys made that allowed the Packers. I mean, Cowboys nearly doubled up the yards on the Packers and lost by 10 points. So, yeah. Uh, the, the Packers were in plus field position, had turn. I mean, I, I'm not getting into that game. But yeah. Um, it's just a situation where I'm fading the Packers again. I think I think four is just too much. If it was three, it'd be a different story. But I, I could see this being a 17-20 game all day long with the low over-under. Anytime you're getting 44 or less points in a game, you always got to look at the dog because as that number shrinks, that's telling you it's going to be a lower-scoring game. And when I'm grabbing points, it just gives you more opportunity. So I just think in this spot, I think the Lions are going to be very competitive. I'm not saying that the Packers aren't going to come away with it, but I do like what we've seen so far out of the Lions coming into this week, especially with Matt Patricia and the adjustments that they've made coming into this year from year one to two. I would feel much more comfortable teasing this than anything else. Yeah, I would agree. And it's another teaser opportunity. We've talked about this week. And when in divisional games, that's when to do it. They're typically closer to even a, even if it's in the same conference or a non-conference game, you don't have the same scouting reports. You don't del- you know, delegate the same amount of time and energy to scouting these teams. Typically, especially at the collegiate level, you'll exchange scouting reports with another uh, team or head coach that you're maybe closer with that you find divulging that to when you do play these non-conference type of games. I know it's different in NFL and NCAA, but 
Um, it's just a situation where I think teaser legs this weekend could really be be the spot for a lot of these, you know, plus four to six dogs. Okay. I like it. Well, J-Mac, we're going to roll into everyone's favorite spot, the best bets. Kyle Beats has texted his in to give you guys an update. We're 19-10-1 on the year, which pretty fantastic record. We're just shooting under 66%. I don't know of a lot of podcasts or anyone out there on the universe shooting that percent. So uh, hopefully you guys have been able to cash so far with us year to date. Uh, J-Mac, I'll go to you first for yourself and Kyle's college bets. Do you have both those? Yep, got them right here. So my college bet of the week is LSU in the points. No problem here. That's that's the most lock I can get. I feel really good about that. I'm excited for that game. Um, for Kyle Beats, his college his college prediction of the week, I'm going to read this as is because Please. It's, it's incredibly important that we have the context here. His college uh, lock of the week is going to be Boise State minus 11 and a half. He noted in parentheses, home against Hawaii, too much travel and jet lag. Game over. Game over from Kyle Beats. Game over from Kyle Beats. The travel and jet lag. Yo, Boise 5-0 with a true freshman quarterback. I certainly love watching them. I mean, you're not going to face the schedule that you normally are, and they barely squeaked out a win versus a Florida State team who won't go to a bowl. But I digress. I certainly think it's over going to be a fun game. Hawaii's got a great offense, so that game should see some points. Yep. Well, coming on my end here, it's going to be a game that I talked about a little bit earlier. I'm going to take Michigan State plus the 10.5 points. I think it's way too many given away. From what I've been reading, it's going to be an all-in effort for Michigan State in that team, which excites me. I love to hear that from college kids. I think we're getting a little bit overrated this point with Jonathan Taylor in Wisconsin. I think you see the Michigan State defense kind of stuff that lineup and have more success than their in-state counterparts, uh, Michigan Wolverines did. Okay, I like it. Let's head to the NFL J-Mac we have from Kyle Beats. I'll read this one to give you a moment to get yours ready. Um, We have the uh, San Diego Chargers Monday night football minus six and a half. Sunday night football, I apologize. Sunday night football at home versus the Steelers. Home against the decimated Steelers is Kyle's exact tweet. I think he's referring to the third string uh, rookie out of Samford that will be starting for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, J-Mac, where are you heading in the NFL? My NFL bet of the week is an easy one. It is the Thursday night game. Patriots minus 14 against the Giants. It's an easy lay, number one, because they've covered almost every game. But number two, the Giants have Saquon and about three quarters of their team sitting is due to injury. They've got guys they're signing off the street on defense. I trust Brady to carve things up. No problem here. And Eli is not involved. That's always the biggest factor here. Always. I mean, don't you have to start Eli at this point? Like, give him a shot. Like, nah. put, put Eli in there, man. Yeah, but to your point, Saquon is out. Wayne Gallman is out. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, I probably can't even name the amount of guys that are out for this team. But uh, if you have Golden Tate in your fantasy league, you better put him in because he's probably going to see 20 balls tomorrow night. Easily. (laughs) Easily. Well, for my NFL, uh, probably no uh, mystery here. I'm going to lay the three with the Rams. I'm buying it down. You can get it for about minus 120 right now. So I, I would be willing to pay that to get down to the minus three. I don't think these two teams are even. I don't think it's going to be close. I got uh, and and I like the over. I'm going to say that as well. If you're looking at, it, I think the Rams certainly want to put up. Uh, you know, it's kind of a statement game for them. Mike Shanahan's a great schemer. I, I think it's uh, you know it's opened at 49, already been steamed up to 51. So you're starting to lose some value there. I, I'm not you know overly excited at 51, but I, I still think there's some value on the over but the rams are going to be my best bet for nfl all right all right j mac we're moving into the final part the one where i hit the cincinnati bearcats a four-point dog last week in college football uh we got three more underdogs up for you i'm going to start with kyle's here first kyle is uh going kind of against both of us he's going to take the texas longhorns plus 11 red river rivalry that's a tongue twister still Texas has actually played someone worth a damn. And that's what we mentioned. Uh, really, OU hasn't played anyone the best defense they've actually faced is Georgia State. So uh, we're not disagreeing with Cal that OU hasn't played anyone yet, but uh, I guess we'll see where rubber hits the road 
on uh, Saturday morning. J-Mac, do you have a dog for us so far? Absolutely, I do. I'm going to actually jump just for my dog of the week. I don't think they're going to win this game, but I'm going to jump on Michigan State with you as a dog. I think that's a good value there. So I, we're you and I are teaming up this week. I'm excited for our college dog of the week. Wow, that that is big, big. I mean, that's almost you got to triple down your money now. I mean, that's yeah. just a guarantee. Right? I mean, we're just killing it left and right. So, yeah, I like that. All right. Well, my dog of the week, I, I guess I only watch Big Ten football. I'm taking the Iowa Hawkeyes and Nate Stanley this week, a four-point underdog at home versus Penn State. Um, you know, coming off the disappointing loss to Michigan, it's going to be a little bit different when they face this Penn State team, different athletes. I just think they've been overvalued. You know, Penn State certainly had a great start to the year, but uh, kind of the same with OU. They haven't played anyone that's uh, necessarily been worth a damn to this point. Uh, throttled Maryland and I'm just to the point where I'm just going to fade Penn State. Um, Iowa at night gets rocking. That's a home field advantage that most don't understand. It's a different type of stadium. So I'd even look first half a little bit, but just in case they start out slow, I think the Hawkeyes are going to put it to Penn State. Nate Stanley's going to get his signature win as a senior. Take the Hawkeyes, another four-point dog at home. There you go. All right. All right, J-Mac, get us on out of here. Awesome. All right, well, we want to thank everyone for joining us for this edition of Perpetually Correct. We want to remind everyone as well to follow us on social media. That is at Sensibly Loud Media on Facebook, at Sensibly Loud on Twitter, and on Instagram. And make sure to follow JB and I as well on Twitter. My, uh, my, uh, excuse me, my Twitter handle is at JMACSLM, and JB is at, at JB Media SLM as well. And also make sure to give us a call. Leave us a message. We want to hear from you guys. We want to play the voicemails on the show as we compile them. We've got callers calling in already. We'll, we'll do a show here pretty soon where we answer some voicemail questions that are coming up. That number, just to remind everyone, is 972-885-9361. Make sure to uh, get your bets in. We'll see you next week. 